You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Matthew 13, verse 1 through to verse 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil 
is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Amen. May God bless to us this, his word of truth. Let us pray together. Our Father, how thankful we are to be in your most glorious presence, to be amongst your people, and to be able to open up the treasure chest of your word of eternal truth. May it be treasure to us this day, our Father, treasure to our minds and to our understanding, to the delight of our hearts and to the good of our souls for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think about this well-known parable this morning, I want to begin by trying to set this in its widest possible context. And I want to do that by making three big statements of reality concerning God and his purposes. Number one, the purpose of God in creating the heavens and the earth and all things was and is to display his own glory. Number two, the way that God is most glorified concerning that creation is through the salvation that he has accomplished through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And number three, the way that that salvation is brought to bear in the lives of human beings is through the preaching and the teaching, the speaking forth of God's word by God's people. And I mention all of that this morning because I think what is very important with all of the parables, especially this parable that we're looking at this morning, is, you know, Jesus is using such everyday and such familiar, ordinary language in a sense. But we mustn't miss the fact that behind all of that symbolism, or rather through all of that symbolism, Jesus is describing an activity, a process, which has eternal consequences. It is of eternal significance. Because what is being described here is the outworking of God's master plan of salvation in the lives of human beings for his own glory. The symbolism itself is fairly straightforward as we went through with the children earlier. The seed is the word of God. The farmer who sows the seed is primarily God himself as the ultimate giver of the word, but also the people he uses to speak his word, not just ministers, but all Christians in that sense. And the four soils are four types of people, four types of heart, four types of people, all of which hear the word, but each of which responds 
in a different way. And so this morning, I want to break this down into two parts, and I want to do that under the heading, The Sufficiency of God's Word and the Insufficiency of Only Hearing It. The Sufficiency of God's Word and the Insufficiency of Only Hearing It. First of all, then, the sufficiency of God's Word. The first thing Jesus tells us in verse 3 is that the farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, I realize it's always a very dangerous thing for someone like me to stand up in public and start speaking about farming uh, in the company, in the presence of very skilled and experienced farmers. So here is the extent of my knowledge. At this time, obviously, the farmer uh, wouldn't have all of the modern machinery and all the technology that I'm sure most farmers use today the Massey Fergusons and the John Deere's and all the rest. But what would happen is that this farmer, he would basically have a kind of apron tied around his waist and he would have this kind of pouch in front of his body with all of his seed in this pouch. And he would basically walk up and down in a straight line in this field, going into the pouch and scattering the seed around in the field as he went. And so that field would often fall upon different types of ground. He wouldn't have all that much control, ultimately, over where the seed actually fell. Some would drop on the good, the rich soil. Some might fall where it was a little bit rocky, there wasn't much soil. Some would fall next to big, aggressive plants. And others would fall along the path where the ground had become very compact and hard-pressed over the years. But don't miss the very obvious but subtle point in all of this. The farmer goes and scatters the seed, but it is the seed which produces and brings forth the new life of a crop. And so in the same way, Whilst God delights to use his people, preachers, teachers, and all Christians to scatter the seed of his word, it is ultimately by that word, and it's being made effective by the Holy Spirit, that he brings new life to a human soul. Let me just read these words from the Westminster Confession of Faith, because these are wonderful words. It says this, How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer, the Spirit maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of enlightening, convincing, and humbling sinners, of driving them out of themselves, and drawing them unto Christ, of conforming them to His image, and subduing them to His will of strengthening them against temptations and corruptions, of building them up in grace and establishing their hearts in holiness and comfort through faith to salvation. In other words, all this is saying is that the primary instrument that God the Holy Spirit delights to use in order to bring people from death to life to keep us there and to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, the instrument that he uses to do all of this and more is the word of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23, 
it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Do you see, friends, this morning, the sufficiency of the word of God to bring new life, to teach us, to change us as it is applied to our lives by God, the Holy Spirit. If there is one thing that I believe the church needs to keep in mind throughout all generations for her own faithfulness, for her confidence, for her willingness to engage in true mission, it is this point, the sufficiency and the authority of the Word of God. Now, what's very interesting here is this point is actually underlined right in the middle of the parable in verses 11 to 17. In verse 10, we're told that the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he goes on to quote these solemn, solemn words from Isaiah chapter 6. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Now, in chronological terms, this question of the disciples would have probably taken place after Jesus told them the parables that were given throughout this chapter, of which I think there's five or six. And so the question is, why did Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why did he interrupt the flow of Jesus' parable here by inserting this section right in the middle? And the reason is that the answer Jesus gives to the question that's posed here about parables in general has a direct relevance to the message of this specific parable that he's teaching. Because what he's saying, in effect, is the reason I speak in parables generally is the same reason that there will be this mixture of responses that I'm describing here specifically, which is that it's through the speaking of parables and the scattering of the seed of God's word that the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, that the door of God's kingdom is ultimately being opened and it is being closed as evidenced in the response of the different people who hear God's word. And that leads us to the second half of the parable, the insufficiency of only hearing God's word. In other words, it's here we're reminded that although it is ultimately God who brings new life through the word by the spirit, every single man and every single woman is ultimately held accountable by God for what we do with his word. And that is what makes the second half of this parable, I believe, such solemn reading. Because, make no mistake here, the first three soils that Jesus speaks of are three types of people who do not make it. They do not make it. They do not go on with Jesus Christ. They miss out on the gift of eternal life. They miss out 
on heaven itself. And I have to say, friends, just in preparing this this week and studying this passage, I find it one of the most solemn things we can think about. Yes, there is wonderful encouragement that we've just been thinking about. The power and the authority and the sufficiency of God's word to bring new life when we speak forth the wonderful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But here is the reality that people will respond in different ways. Here is the responsibility that God places upon us to do something with this word. And so let's understand who these people are so that we do not follow them. Very much comes to us this morning, I feel, friends, as a warning for all of us. First of all, there is the person we might describe as gospel-resistant. Gospel-resistant. He says in verse 4, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Later in 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Now we need to be careful here. When Jesus speaks of the person who doesn't understand, he's not speaking of understanding purely in the intellectual sense as if this is a person who is honestly trying to understand the gospel and the things of God, but isn't really able to. And so Satan comes along and says, nope, sorry, you've had your chance, time up, that's it, you're coming with me. That's not what he's saying here at all. What he's speaking of is a lack of understanding that is ultimately caused by the far deeper issue of a hardness of heart. Hence the fact that he speaks about a people whose hearts are calloused. Hence the fact that he speaks of the seed falling on this hard path. Ground that would have been hard pressed and almost impossible for any seed to penetrate. And so this is not a person who is coming to church and sitting under the word and, 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 and hasn't become a Christian, but who is wanting to understand and is wanting to be open to Christ and his gospel, but is just kind of struggling at this stage to put it all together. No, this is the person who hears all about the blood of Jesus Christ being shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins who hears and understands all about the love of the Father that was willing to send his only begotten Son to die on the cross that we could be forgiven. This is the person who hears all about the solemn truths of heaven and hell and yet remains totally unmoved by any of these things. It is about as impactful and about as much good as pouring pure, clean water on top of a rock. They are the epitome of Psalm 135, verse 16 and 17, where it says, They have eyes, but cannot see. They have ears, but cannot hear. It must be one of the saddest things in pastoral ministry to preach and teach the gospel for years and years and to see certain people come to church 
every week and to go through the motions, be faithful in attending, to say nice service at the end and then go on their way. And yet through all of that time, 30, 40, 50 years, they remain totally unchanged, unmoved and unaffected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is a tragedy. But notice that it's not just the hard heart that Jesus speaks of. It is also the thieving work of Satan. Matthew Henry, commenting on this passage, describes Satan as the great murderer of people's souls, the great thief of sermons. In other words, just think about this. If the spoken word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the primary means by which it pleases God to redeem his people, to bring us to life, then what is the Spirit's primary work going to involve? It's surely going to involve doing everything he can to stop that seed, that word, from first of all being faithfully scattered, and secondly, from taking root. You want to know why so many churches today will sing for hours on end and minimize the teaching of God's word? You want to know, younger ones, why there are some really trendy, cool, hip churches that will come and uh, they won't even open God's word? The reason is because men are very weak and sinful. And Satan is very clever. He knows what he's doing. Second, Jesus speaks of the person we might describe as the promising starter or the great starter. He says in verse 5, Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Later in verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. In other words, here is a person who seems to receive the message of Christ, even does so with joy. They maybe put their hand up at some big Christian event, probably when the music was particularly stirring. And so they went and bought a Christian book and they have gone to church for a while and they seem to do Christian things. But ultimately, they have not truly grasped what this is all about And so they turn away from Christ. And the reason, Jesus says, is ultimately they are not prepared to suffer specifically when that suffering comes as a result of being faithful to his word. I think one of the great failures in our own day and in my own ministry is that we don't speak nearly enough about the counting the cost of following Jesus Christ. We will happily confess or happily speak about Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But 
what we so easily forget or choose to forget is that the context in which that verse was spoken at that time was a context in which people were martyred on the basis of that very profession. Now, thankfully, we're not likely to face that kind of persecution in our own lives, but there will come a time when you and I and every single Christian will be put to the test. We will have to decide, are we going to continue on the basis of God's word and suffer the consequences of doing so? Or will we deny his word in order to save face with other people, in order for popularity, in order to satisfy the fallen lusts of our own flesh, standing firmly with God, continuing, persevering with Christ, keeping his word will cost you. It will cost you success. It will cost you popularity. It will cost favor in the eyes of the world. It will cost you relationships. It may cost you your job. And it might even cost you your life. It is so tempting to water this down in the kind of cappuccino Christianity that is so prevalent in our day. But what did Paul say? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And Jesus Christ never apologized for this. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Third, Jesus speaks of the professing Christian who is tragically and ultimately consumed by the world. Verse 7, Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And then in verse 22, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it making it unfruitful. Charles Spurgeon once said, there is nothing in this world to foster a Christian's piety, but there is everything to destroy it. And that is precisely what Jesus is warning us about here. He's saying there is a type of person who hears the gospel. Again, it would seem they accept it with joy, but over time, such is the subtle yet overwhelming influence and the consuming capacity of materialism, worldly plans, the pride of life, that ultimately this gospel seed is smothered so that it can no longer come to any lasting fruition. Such a simple and yet vivid picture, is it not, that Jesus presents to us here. This plant is being crowded out. It is being choked by these thorns that surround it in every direction. And if you don't see that, 
Just think about one day in your own life, dear friends. Think about one day in your own life. Any day, it doesn't matter. Think about the amount of things that are coming to you every second, every minute, every hour. Email, internet, television, radio, newspapers, the fashions and the trends of today. Every single thing. All these things which are neutral in one sense... They're not necessarily wicked at one level. But they have the capacity to overwhelm. They have the capacity to woo our little hearts and ultimately to destroy us. That is what Jesus is saying here. I don't know about you, but I just find this incredibly solemn stuff. As I said earlier, there is Such a wonderful encouragement. God is sovereign. Jesus is Lord over all. His word will accomplish the purposes that he sets out for it. it. But as fallen, fragile human beings, the responsibility and just the reality that there are these responses going on all the time when his word is spoken... So let me try to wrap this together this morning. We're just finishing with a simple question. Do you want to be the fourth of the soils that Jesus speaks about in this parable? Do you want to be a Christian who goes on and who bears fruit for his kingdom, who takes the gospel of his son cherishes it above everything else that you could possibly think about and who takes that gospel seed and multiplies, produces a crop a hundredfold in your life to the glory of God, your Savior, your friend, the captain of your salvation. Then three things from this passage. First, we must go on with hearts that are humble and open and responsive to the gospel. We must not allow ourselves to become gospel-hardened. Hebrews 3 and 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert. We must delight in God. We must delight in his gospel. We must delight in the pure, rich goodness, the nourishing goodness of his word of eternal truth. Number two, we must count the cost of following Jesus Christ, and we must resolve in our will that we will count it as pure joy when we suffer for the sake of his name. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Matthew ten twenty eight. do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And number three, we must live as dead to the false snares and vices of this world and as alive to the riches of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul?
Romans 12, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How we pray, our Father, that we would treat it as such, that we would go on with humble and open and responsive hearts, Lord, that we would see and receive and accept all that you reveal yourself to be in the pages of your word such that we would be able to fear you with a holy reverence, such that we would be able to delight in what you have done for us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, such that we would live lives on the narrow road that leads to the kingdom of your glory. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.